reading from Psalm 91. Thank you for your testimonies. God certainly watches over us. It fits right in. We've talked about the terrors that we face. Tonight is the times of temptation. 91.11, for he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and the adder, the young lion and the dragon, shalt thou trample under feet. 14 of Psalm 91, because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. It is, first of all, then, a triumphant path. Uh, so here we see, it's interesting, we have the dragon, the old serpent, the adder. If you think about Satan, obviously those refer to Satan symbolically. We know that, the dragon. And by the way, it does in Revelation chapter 12, about verse 3. He is that serpent. Verse 8, maybe about verse 8. He's the serpent, that old serpent, the devil. So we know it could refer to that. Interestingly enough, we find in the first three chapters, we see Satan. And then at the very three chapters before the end, we see him again as he's getting cast into the lake of, uh, of fire forever and ever and ever. And so, but there are only three times in the Bible, and I want you to name them for me, where Satan speaks. Temptation of Christ. Genesis. And Job. Right. Job, Genesis, and the temptation of Christ. Very good. Only three times he actually speaks uh, in Scripture. Now, we know he's a lot in the Bible, but those times he speaks. His influence really is everywhere. He is the sworn enemy of grace. And we can expect to be tempted. The enemy will not leave us alone. He will even at times perhaps quote scripture at us to, uh, to get us to, to fall into temptation. I was not, This is a much less serious thing, but before I was talking with Brother Mark tonight about trying to fix my computer, and he gave me what I thought was a file name. And so I wrote it down on my paper. It's right here. It's 1D10T. Now, if you write 1D10T on your paper and then read it to yourself, you'll see what I feel like now. So there we go. So he, but that's, that is, a, but it wasn't really a temptation. I thought it was quite, I thought it was quite funny. I'll probably use it on somebody else. But the Satan wants us to fall in temptation. And think with me for a moment in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able but with, with the temptation, also make a way of escape. So how is it that you and I don't fall into temptation? What are the ground rules? If you're not going to fall into a temptation, what, how do you stay, get out of a temptation? Well, there's a way to escape. So how is it that you and I, by God's grace, don't fall into temptation and sin? It's not a sin to be tempted. It's a sin when we commit the sin. So what must we do, it's not a trick question, what must we do to not sin when the temptation comes? Stay in Christ, Stay in Christ. exactly. We, we must know the Bible. We must, oh, now, also I think sometimes we don't want to see the way of escape because we want sometimes to do the sin. The Bible says there's a way to escape. You don't have to sin. I mean, you don't have to do that. Now, do we? I, yes, I sin, and you sin. But God's made a way if we will put him first, if we will let him live his life through us, if we stay in Christ, if we stay in the secret place, 
God has a provision for us to where we don't have to look at that or we don't have to say that or we don't have to get in the flesh about that or we don't have to do that. My wife had a gentleman on her 30-minute lunch going 15 miles an hour through Ashland and then slowing down at all the stoplights or all the places where the cars could come out. I'm glad it wasn't me because you know how I would have handled it, you know. A Shadrach, Meshach, and a Abednego! Go, go. I'm sorry, that's too loud. Yeah, here we go. Question number one, and we're hitting second gear. Who has, who have then the responsibility for caring for the saints? And we find in our text, and he shall give his, what? Angels. In Hebrews, if you want to jot down Hebrews 1.14 as ancillary, that's my big word for tonight, ancillary passage or verse, Hebrews 1.14, are they not, I don't think I can quote that one. Are they not all ministering spirits? Sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation. So they are on our side. So if we may want to confine ourselves to one guardian angel, or we could have whoever God sends a multiplicity of angels on our side. We may have a guardian angel, we may not, but what we do have angels on our side. Now, what are the two primary groups? That's a very general group. Of angels in all of the universe, there's two primary groups. Good and bad. Okay. All right, there's the fallen angels, we call them demons, we call them devils, and there are the holy angels, the ones that are actually doing God's bidding. Now there are groups within the holy angels, and I believe there's a hierarchy definitely in the unholy angels as well. Two basic groups. Do they live forever? Yes. Have they always been like God has always been? No. Good answers on all that. Very good. Y'all get an A plus for tonight. I'm not giving you a test, but you got an A plus. Very good answers. We see then the persons, for he shall give his angels charge over thee. Question three, aren't you glad for his there? For he shall give his angels, not the demonic spirits, not the unholy angels, but yes, he's going to give his angels. I like that. The holy serving angels. He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee. In, in what ways? Oh, I love that. Keep thee in all thy ways. We have angels who are going to watch. One watched over Bill, likely just last night, or, or was it Monday? The Lord watched over him through perhaps the guardian or angels who take care of things. And I like, in question number four, what should the pronoun thee say to the believer? To keep thee in all thy ways. Oh, isn't that great? He's going to watch over you, child of God. He's going to watch over you because he, that's what he says. He'll keep thee in all thy ways. Not just over the child, not just the whole church. I like what, we may not like what one man said. He said, the idea of a special guardian angel for each individual has possibly been favored by this verse, though it had its origin. He said in heathen belief, one heathen poem he found was this, by every man, as he is born, there stands a spirit good, a holy guide of life. There perhaps is one angel given, but I, maybe perhaps, perhaps not. We just can't say definitively yes or no. But what we can say, angels are ministering spirits to those who are heirs of salvation. We can say that clearly God has said that for us. They have a special charge to accompany. The word charge there is a strict command. More than a bare command is when you would have perhaps a servant to do business, certainly, and fully you might give him that, that uh, you go do business for me. But here the charge is upon him. I charge you that you do not neglect this business. You are given this charge. Sometimes we say in our household that uh, the Ivan, the larger, older cat, has 
Mo, Mozart, the younger cat, we say, well, this is his charge because Ivan has to know pretty much almost, at least it was in the past, where Mozart was all the time. Because he's a, he, if I was doing something, he was got nervous, and they get nervous for each other. He should clip the Mozart's claws, or I forget what it was, one way around. And they were just like gathering around, make sure that it doesn't hurt the other cat. And they're very, very, very good friends now. We have a, they have given to the angels the charge to watch over us. That's part of what they're supposed to do. In your outline, bottom one, Spurgeon, no one or not one guardian angel, as some fondly dream. But all the angels are here alluded to. They have received commission from their Lord and ours to watch carefully over all the interests of the faithful. Do you think it's important, as we're returning to page two, to keep the distinction between angels and us? Is there a distinction between angels and us? Do we get get wings when we go to heaven? No, we don't. Now, that's a very popular mindset. Angels are, 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 they're one and done. They had one opportunity in heaven, and they've sinned one time. Out they go. Did Jesus die for angels? No. Nope. Clearly, any extraterrestrials at all. He died just for humankind. It's one, I think, the most salient points that we are the one planet in all the universe that has cognizant life. And because Jesus died here. The Bible is centered here. Now, he has all these things he created. But I personally believe, and I, I can't explain everything to your satisfaction. I know that the unholy spirits have a lot of abilities to shine, to bright. There's a lot of things happening in the governments around the world, balloons and all these kind of things that might happen. We've got, we've got these drones, all these different things. But I'm telling you, I really believe theologically, scripturally speaking, Jesus died once for all. He didn't die on a bunch of planets for a bunch of different people. He died at Calvary. Do you see the centrality of Scripture? This is, this is how we, under, we have to start here. We start with God, and that's how we can then uh, talk to or speak to. I'm not boohooing all science fiction things. I'm saying realistically, I believe that this is, we are God's special people. And angels are sent to help us. And they are and certainly much more powerful than we are. Certainly are. And matter of fact, Satan was probably the most beautiful creation God ever created before his fall. So there's a difference there. So I'm not trying to boo-hoo the people that have their wings in the back of their cars. We don't get those things. I don't think we will need them. The Bible doesn't even say that all angels have wings. So if you want to go that far. Shall we continue? We shall. Philip says this, God has promised an escort home. Hold just a moment. Where would I find that? Is it biblical? Yes, it is. In case you're wondering, if you want to hold your finger in Psalm 91, Luke 16.22. Luke 16.22 and maybe elsewhere, but here's a clearly for us. Luke chapter 16, verse 22. The rich man, who's, by the way, traditionally calls him Dives, he has uh, Lazarus, and it says there in 22, and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels. Abraham's bosom, is that different than today? Yes. And I believe in the Bible times, Abraham's bosom was the good side, the happy side of Hades, where the, uh, where the believers, if you would, were kept until Christ's personal belief now, 
First, that when Christ raised it, he took those with him to glory, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. And so now what's left in Hades is just those who are unbelievers. And when we die, we don't go down into the Sheol, Hades, Sheol, Hebrew, Hades, uh, Greek. We don't go down there. There's but one compartment full now that are being filled. We go to heaven because the Bible in New Testament time, can you help me out here? Absent from the body, present with the Lord. So when I die, I leave this world, I'm going to be absent from the body, I'm going to be present with the Lord. I cannot guarantee you that my mom and dad are walking the streets of gold yet because that is the new Jerusalem. We're not promised to be there yet. What we are promised is absent from the body and the Lord's presence. So the new Jerusalem could be held back until it descends all the way to the earth and becomes the capital of the new earth. We can't say with certain, perhaps they are. I'm not trying to boohoo that either. But what the Bible is clear about is we will be with God. So he's promised us an escort home. And and that should give us encouragement because I don't believe any of us in here has passed through the curtain of death yet. Now there are a lot of NDEs, near-death experiences, according to people across the world. The Bible says, Hebrews 9.27, can you help me out here? And as it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this the judgment. So we're appointed once to die. Can, you, can I, with, for your satisfaction, explain every single story from every single book? No, I can't. But I can tell you, what I, I, there, there, there's a lot of things that go on, but I can tell you the Bible says clearly. But what about Samuel? God brought Samuel back from, from Sheol, Hades, for a special purpose. And that's why the witch was so frightened because she actually got a hold of someone who could talk that was an evil spirit. And Samuel comes up and, that, and God had a message for Saul. You remember what happened to Saul the next day? He and his sons got killed. And so we have to always go back to what the Bible says. And now we can't make definitive statements about the, the, the things we would disagree on or we might not agree on, but I think we can be definitive on the basics of the gospel, the cardinal doctrines we need to agree on, because there are some cardinal doctrines you must believe, doctrines you must believe, in order to truly be saved. So continuing on, I'm still on page two, I think. Philip says it does not mean that we can make daring experiments with God and do foolish, unscriptural things. Now the angel's giving charge, charge over thee to bear thee up. On the assumption that no matter what we do, nothing we can do will go wrong. That was what the devil wanted Jesus to do. Remember, he took him to the top of the temple. Just jump down. He even mis- uh, he'll give his angels charge over the Just act foolishly. Was that God's will? No, it wasn't God's will that Jesus jumped from the temple. So that's why, he, no. And by the way, if Jesus has to quote scripture to defeat Satan, woe is us if we think we can somehow defeat Satan with our own clever words. We must use the word of God to defeat that. So you find that the promise, promise the angel escort very likely will be escorted. And as so I've passed through the, to the gate, when I pass through from this life to the next, I'm really hoping for someone to direct me. Think about this. Can you on your own get to heaven? Where is it? Where is God right now? Can you get to God's throne on our own? We, we don't, we've never been there yet, so we're going to need somebody to take us. Am I thinking correctly? Yes, I think so. God watches over us. Interesting story was told of David Brainerd, which he lived from 1718, 1747, died at 29 years of age of tuberculosis. 
He ministered to the Indians in New Jersey. And he had gotten so sick with tuberculosis that he had to go to the house of Jonathan Edwards of all. That's where he died, at the home of Jonathan Edwards. But he was, uh, there had been a band of Indians sent to kill him. And so they had been tracking him. And he stopped by a water's edge. And he was watching the beavers build the dam. And he knelt down. And he started praying. And these Indians were getting ready for the moment to go kill him. And all of a sudden, a big rattlesnake slithered right up to him and got right to the point of biting him. And then it stopped. And went right on its way. And the Indian said, oh, the great spirit lives in him. And they backed off and didn't kill him. And the next day he goes into the Indian village and they receive him like a prophet. Because, well, the great spirit. And I like what the guy said at the very end. He said, it is just one incident, one of the few instances revealed of our angel escort home. Perhaps we have spent more time, perhaps if we spent more time in prayer as Brainerd did, we would know more about such things. And so I thought, ouch, I put on there. But he was a man of prayer and gave his life to the ministry to the Indians, died of tuberculosis at 29 years of age. The persons, the protection in 12, they shall bear thee up with their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Question five. Now, how, why might we struggle with angels bearing them up with their hands? What does the Bible say about angels? They are ministering. Does the spirit have a hand? Does it have something tangible? No. So why does the Bible use this language for us? It's the only way I can think of them bearing me up. They're bearing them up on their back, with their head, with their feet. The one thing that makes sense to us, they're bearing them up with their hands, lest we dash our foot against the stone. We call it when we say, what do we call it when we do this with the Lord, give him human characteristics? It's called anthropomorphism. We're attributing to God human characteristics to help us understand God better. Right hand, the eye, left hand, the feet, all these different things we give to God. God's a spirit. Father is a spirit. Jesus is not. We will see, will we see Jesus in heaven? Amen. Amen. Yes, we will. Will we see the Father if he chooses to reveal himself to us? Will we see the Spirit, perhaps if he chooses to reveal himself to us? But remember, they are spirits. Now, we will have eyes different. I think we'll be able to certainly see the angels. What does the Bible say about the Father? He dwelleth in what? Light which no man can look into. Perhaps he's only referring to our earthly eyes. Perhaps not. But Jesus, we'll see him. Fanny Crosby said we'll see him face to face. Won't that be amazing to see our heavenly, to see the, the Lord who died for us face to face. That was the protection. How about the prediction in 13? Thou shalt tread upon the lion and the adder, the young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample under feet. The word there adder is four times called asp, two times called adder, perhaps a cobra. We shall tread upon the lion and adder. God is going to watch over us. Albert Barnes says, Thou shalt be safe among dangers as if the rage of the lion were restrained. And he became like a lamb, and if the poisonous tooth of the serpent were extracted. He's going to watch over us. Now this word dragon refers to animal or Satan or possibly both. Can it be proved that dragons were real reptiles? Were dragons real reptiles? Yes. Can we just look at one passage? Uh, Job, we have time. Job 41. I asked Mr. Tom today, I said, or yesterday, I said, Do you know there actually were fire-breathing dragons in the world? In the Bible, actually? I didn't know that. So, Job 41, verse 20. Job 41, 20. Job 41, 20. 
Job 41.20. I know my voice is hoarse tonight. I don't know if it's drainage or what it is. Job 41.20. Sorry for the <clears throat> hoarseness. 41.20 says, Out of his nostrils, or verse 19. How about even set 18? By his nestings, nestings a light doth shine, and his eyes are like the eyelids of the morning. Out of his mouth go burning lamps, and sparks of fire leap out. Out of his nostrils go smoke, as out of a seething pot or cauldron. His breath kindleth coals, and a, coals and a flame goeth out of his mouth. So, you wonder where all the dragon pictures and all we have all these fanciful things about dragons come from? Well, there were real, really, evidently really dragons at some point in history. Perhaps this was the plesiosaur, uh, the dinosaur of the ocean, perhaps. But anyway, and we also know that Satan, and Henry Morse comments, both the lion and the dragon are symbolic of Satan. And so he is the lion, roaring lion, and in chapter 12 of Revelation, he is the dragon, the old serpent, the dragon. That was the times of temptation. There's a triumphant path, and in the ending, a tremendous promise, threefold promise, first of all in 14, a reciprocal kind of love. Back over to Psalm 91, verse 14. If you want to turn back with me, Psalm 91, verse 14. Because he hath set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he hath known my name. Now, question seven, where does the one dwelling in secret place set his love? Upon God, right? Upon God. That's where he sets his love, upon the Savior, upon our Savior. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I deliver him. I will set him on high because he hath known my name. Barnes says he has become attached to me, has united himself with me, is my friend. The Hebrew word expresses the strongest attachment as equivalent to our expression to fall in love. I wonder if we have fallen in love with our Savior Fallen in love with God who saved us. I trust that you have. Not, I'm not talking about some kind of a romantic love. I'm talking about genuine agape, self-sacrificing. We're going to do whatever the Savior wants for us. We are, by the way, his bride. He is the bridegroom. Kinder says of this, this is used elsewhere in context of setting one's heart on somebody or on some enterprise as man's commitment to God. It's the only time is used is right here. The treasure of David says, here we have the Lord himself speaking of his own, cho- own chosen one, not because he deserves to be the kept lust, but because with all his imperfections, he does love his God. Therefore, not the angels of God only, but the God of the angels himself will come to his rescue in all perilous times and will effectually deliver him. It's not just the angels. Don't you love it, the fact that we thought when Christ left the Mount of Olives, the angel said to the disciples, this same Jesus that you saw going in heaven will come in like manner, likewise, etc. He's going he's to come back, the same Jesus. It's going to be his job. But the Lord comes back for his church. He doesn't send just an archangel. He doesn't send just Gabriel, just Michael. If you look in 1 Thessalonians, 1 Corinthians, he's going to come back for us. The father's going to say, son, as the songwriter says, go get your children. And here he comes, and away we'll go. And we'll, it'll be absent from this world with God and his children forever. It'll be a wonderful thing. So it's a reciprocal kind of love. It's a reassuring, reassuring kind of liberty. In 15, he shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. Isn't that a wonderful question? Eight, top of page four, last page. Does God make his children pay when he delivers them with or by, 
Does he do it with condemnation and ridicule when he... No, just the opposite. It's like the prodigal father. We talk about the prodigal son. I'm telling you, the big person in that story is the father. The prodigal son acts like a a wayward child. The father looks for him. And when he sees his son, he goes and lavishes him with love and, and reaffirmation and things. The beauty of that story is the loving father. But he doesn't. He doesn't like hold it against us and say, well, you acted wrong here, so here's what you're going to get for doing that. He doesn't do that. I will be with him. I will be with him in trouble. God acts like a tender-hearted mother towards a sickly child. When the child is in perfect health, she can leave it in the hands of a nurse. But when it is sick, says Spurgeon, she will attend it herself. She will say to the nurse, you may attend a while to some other business, I will watch over my child myself. And that is it. The mother, no one can help a child like when my kids were hurt, ill, whatever. They didn't very rarely come to me. It's always the mom. And it's because the moms know that just mom has that special ability to help out. Finally, the rewarding, a rewarding kind of life, 16. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Wearsby says it in your outline. It's one thing for doctors to add years to our life, but God adds life to our years and makes the life worthwhile. I was helping uh, people open their internet. I had five folks today, a couple. And so we're trying to find a password for them to use that could remember. So we used the first letter and the last name. And I said, no, I said, so and so. I said, when were you born? 1936. I said, okay. His wife's right there, so I go around to her, and I get her first letter and her name. I said, uh, now, were you born in 1936? Oh, no, sir. 1942. So she's not, she's not that old. She, long life. This guy's 87 years old. Nice guy. Helped me carry my bags out. Bought a house over here off Route 1. I'm hoping to invite them to church. But he's 87 and she's like 84 and they're coming to the senior center learning about computers. Well, I guess she made she about 81, whatever it is. Nice couple. Long life. So God not only adds perhaps life to our years, he adds this uh, years to our life, but he adds life to our years. He makes it so worthwhile. And I like this. Uh, one author was saying, this proves or with long life I will satisfy him. The margin here is length of days, that is days lengthened out or multiplied. The meaning is I will give him length of days as he desires or until he is satisfied with life. And the last point he says that a time will come even under this promised blessing of length of days when a man will be satisfied with living, when he will have no strong desire to live longer, when under the infirmities of advanced years and under his lonely feelings from the fact that his early friends have fallen and under the influence of a bright hope of heaven, he will feel that he has had enough of life here and that it's better to depart to another world. And Paul said, hmm, which is far better, far better. Such is the ministry of temptation. The devil tempts to bring out our worst in us. God permits it that he might bring out the best in us. That's why he allows us that we might grow and, and do what he wants us to do. And in closing, a little fast little phrase, the man described in the psalm fills out the measure of his days. And whether he dies young or old, he is quite satisfied with life and is content to leave it. Are you content to leave life? If you, I'm not trying to be morbid. 
If the Lord calls you home tonight, have you done what he's asked you to do? Are you leaving some things on the table? You know, I, if I, I'll have to be bare my soul. If I really, really, really believe that Jesus might come tomorrow, if you knew he's coming tomorrow, would you, leave your, would you, do, would you make a couple phone calls or would you life different? Or would you visit your neighbor if you really knew for sure he's coming tomorrow? Don't you think we would be doing things probably a little bit differently? I'm thinking so. So if we lived in light of that every day, I think we would, I would change and you would change. Our lives would be different. We would be more, I'd be more outgoing in my witness. I, 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 something I, I, you know, I'm just, my personality doesn't, I'm not making excuses. I need to be more out witness, outgoing in my witness. Not just our lives, but God gives us opportunities. So may we do that. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. What a wonderful psalm. Let us pray. Lord, as we think about our lives, as some of us are drawing closer to the end, perhaps one of us even tonight is closer than we think. Lord, may our lives be examples. And as you, each time, Lord, we have opportunity to witness for you, may we do so. I pray that we as a church, as prayed earlier, we'd be a lighthouse in this area to, the, to our community. May we reach out to those in our area, across the river, whatever needs to be done. Help us to do that. And through missionaries across the world, Lord, may we be about your business. Give us safety now as we go home tonight. We thank you for who you are. Thank you for this beautiful psalm. May we abide in you each day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.